Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And how are you doing, Rosie? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a little crampy and a lot PMSy. <laughs> oh. But I'm fine. I'm totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being willing to record. I appreciate it. This week, we're sharing another listener story. This is the story of Nikki. And she wrote it out like a story for us, so we're just going to read it mostly the way she wrote it. So thank you, Nikki, for making our job really easy. And we appreciate you being willing to share. So are you ready to jump into it, Rosie? Yeah, I just hope I don't cry. I feel like my emotions are real high right now. Well, I think we can do this. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Let's begin with saying that growing up was very hard. We were really poor, and there was physical and emotional abuse from my father, and mother sat by and watched it all happen. My parents had four kids. I have two brothers, one older and one younger, and a younger sister. I was the black sheep of the family, and I always seemed to get the short end of the stick. My father often told me that I was worthless and that I would never amount to anything. He said the most I would ever in barefoot in the kitchen of my trailer. Wow. He often told me that I was not even his child. Growing up, my grandparents helped with food and clothes so that we did not go hungry and we had clothes to wear to school. My father owned his own business and only worked when he wanted to. He always took care of himself before any of us kids. He would be eating steak and we would have bologna sandwiches. Ugh. My mother did as my father told her. He said jump, and she said how high. There was a time when I was a teenager, and I got into an argument with him. I don't remember what it was about now, but he was furious. He was screaming at me, and then picked me up by my neck and slammed me into the basement door. My mother was sitting there the whole time, watching what was going on. He had me up by my neck until I started turning purple. I could not breathe. Finally... After I was starting to turn purple, my mother stepped in and told them to put me down. This was a typical occurrence the entire time I lived at home. When I was five years old, my seven-year-old brother started wanting to play house with me and stating that he was going to be dad and I would be the child. I was super excited to have someone to play with, but little did I know the things that were going to begin to happen. My brother started to feel me all over the place. He would get different clothes from my room and tell me that I had to change right then and there. Being so young, I listened to him because he was playing my dad in our game of house. This would go on for a couple of years. He then started having me lay on the ground and dry hump me. I wasn't sure what was really going on, but I knew if I did it, he would continue to play with me. One day... He came into my room when I was getting ready for bed and asked if I wanted to come play house again with him, but we had to sneak so mom and dad didn't hear us. He didn't want to get in trouble for not being in bed. We went to the attic where my dollhouse was and started playing. He then said that he had to check me out because I was sick and he wasn't and he was going to be the doctor this time. He had me take all of my clothes off but my underwear. He told me that the doctor has to begin his checks. He felt all over my naked body and told me that I was growing good for my age. 
As he was feeling my bottom, he said that he would have to check to make sure all my privates were okay. This was the first time that he stuck his fingers into my private area. I yelled at first because it hurt. He said, don't worry, it will start to feel better. I am going to fix it all for you. By this time, I was probably seven or eight years old. Almost every night after that, he would penetrate me while playing. Throughout the next year or so, he would come into my room at night while I was sleeping and wake me up because he wanted to know what it would be like to put his penis inside of me. This whole time, I didn't really know any better because I was so young. At first, when he tried it, I would tell him, no, I don't think that brothers are supposed to do that. He would always tell me that that is how girls learn for their boyfriends. But I would lay my head back down and try to go to sleep ignoring him. He would end up leaving my room, but one night after I fell asleep, he came back. I woke up to him being inside of me. I cried because it hurt. I told him to get off because it hurt. He said that it would only hurt for a little while and then it would begin to feel good and I would like doing it. This would begin to be almost a nightly occurrence. I stopped telling him no because I know that he would wait until I was sleeping or hold me down and do it anyway. As he had told me, it did begin to feel good, and I started thinking maybe brothers are supposed to teach their little sisters. So this is her big brother, and he's raping her every night. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. A couple years went by, and eventually I started asking my mom about how sex worked and how you learn to do it, and the things to that extent. Mom kind of changed the subject and didn't really want to talk about it. And this is really sad because, like we say all the time, we need to be open with kids and at least encourage an honest dialogue. Unfortunately, a lot of parents don't put that into practice, and we're fortunate to have the hindsight based on all the stories we've talked about and the research that has prompted us to do, but... There are so many parents that aren't prepared for these big talks, and it can be detrimental to children that are being abused and holding in something like this. You know, it, you don't, it doesn't have to be a disgusting, inappropriate discussion to tell them what's okay, you know? like. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big, like, this time on Friday we're going to sit down and have the talk. Yeah. It can be super, super... You know, in a much more relaxed environment, even on the way to something in the car. Like, I know a lot of parents are, like, obviously they don't want to, you don't have to tell your kid how babies are made, or, you know, you don't have to give them sex ed that young, but at but least... they don't need to call it a pee-pee at seven or eight. Right. Right. And they can, they can at least know that it's not okay for anyone to touch them mm -hmm. in their private parts. That's, I mean, pretty PG way to tell them. Right. But anyway, that's just my opinion. Back to the story. My brother heard me asking my mom and told me that he would hurt me if I started asking questions like that again, or if I told anyone what was happening. So she's being threatened to keep quiet. And it's so scary when it's a kid making threats like this, because kids don't have the same moral compass adults do. They may follow through on their threats with out much hesitation whereas an adult knows better they know the consequences but 
I mean, violent children are terrifying for the same reason abused children are innocent. They don't know any better. One night, I decided that I was not going to stay at home because I didn't want to be around my brother. So I asked my aunt if I could come stay with her for the night. She said yes, and that my cousins would be excited to have me there. So that night, I walked up the street with my little bag of clothes because they just lived a few houses up. My cousins and I played well into the night, and then my aunt said it was late and time for us to all go to bed. As I fell asleep, my male cousin came into the room and started fondling me. My heart sank. I thought this would finally be a night that I would not have to deal with this. Yeah, she specifically went there to get away from her brother doing it, and then this happens. He said it would be okay. He just wanted to check me out. To my dismay, I would have another abuser. This began going on for a few more years. By this time, I was 11 or 12. I was scared to be alone with either of them, but I was afraid to tell my parents. I did not think that they would believe me, and it would rip the family apart. My brother and cousin also tried to prostitute me so they could get money and valuables. Hmm. Later on that year, CSB, Children's Service Board, would come to our house because of another incident involving my little sister. At the time, I had no idea what was going on, only to find out that she was being accused of touching another cousin of mine that she was babysitting. While CSB was there, I tried to tell them what was going on and that I needed help. My worst fear was coming true, as they did not believe me and never did anything about it. What? Now I feel like I can't go to anyone because the people that are supposed to help children don't even believe me. That's terrifying, but we've seen it before. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how does that happen? I began getting depressed and felt like it was my fault that they were doing these things. As I became a teenager, I would seek attention and approval from my father and my family. When I didn't get it, I thought maybe it was because I really was worthless and ugly, just like my dad always told me. I then became bulimic, trying to fit what I thought they all wanted. Hmm. The bulimia part really stood out to me because, I mean, a lot of you have heard my personal story. I think it's episode 52, but this is something I struggled with too. And it's interesting, she brought this up after saying the way her father was treating her, like... She was worthless and ugly, and bulimia and eating disorders in general usually have a deeper cause. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes they're based on just your own body image, but a lot of the times it's because someone else made you feel ashamed of the way you look, you know? Right. I'm really sorry you had to deal with that. I acted out trying to get attention and for someone to realize that there was something wrong. This never happened. My mom and dad used to always tell me that I could not have girlfriends over when my brothers were there. That tells me that they must have known something was going on. Yeah, that's interesting. My brothers soon started living with my grandma and grandpa, who lived right across the street. I still, to this day, don't know why that happened. I feel like it was because they knew that there was abuse going on. During high school, I was also working three jobs because I was able to leave school early for my vocational class. I worked two during the week and one on the weekends. I worked so hard, and I would have to pay for groceries, 
and utilities at my mom and dad's house. That's weird. It's not fair at all. No, in high school. I tried so hard to make him proud and to make him want to love me. The harder I tried, the more it seemed to backfire in my face. He would tell me that I wasn't even his kid and that I was just an ugly bee. I was worthless. My mom always sat back, not saying a word while I was beaten and verbally abused by him. I also had an older male try to groom me. He would try to have me come over and help him with small odds and ends because he knew I needed money. Then it slowly started leading into sexual innuendos, and he would try to seduce me and have me do favors for him. And he would always say that he would make me feel good in return. My abuse would not stop until I turned 16 years old and moved out of my parents' house and decided that I would be better off fending for myself. I would rather live on the street than go through the abuse I was going through. I did not have contact with most of my family at this time, except for my cousin. That's really amazing, though, that... 16. That with all that she had been going through, she was able to have the strength to become self-reliant and move mm-hmm. out to get away from it and right and take responsibility because i mean when these terrible things are happening they're not your fault at all 16 you know? is so young though but to, to, move out. to be able to have the ability to take responsibility for yourself and get mm-hmm. away from it that's really amazing i went to see them one day during a conversation things started getting very heated. She, meaning the cousin, ended up pulling out a loaded gun and holding it to my head. I was so angry and was already feeling worthless, so I yelled out, go ahead and do it if you have the balls. That really says a lot about how she was feeling Mm -hmm. about herself. I was ready to end my life. I thought it would be easier than dealing with the pain and abuse I was going through. Needless to say, the trigger was never pulled. I'm glad it wasn't. I then met a guy that made me feel so special and like I was a princess. At first, things seemed to be going well, but the initial charm quickly faded. He began to become very controlling and emotionally abusive. He would control what I was allowed to wear and how I was allowed to style my hair and so forth. After a few years together, I realized that he was just like my father and that I meant nothing to him. I was a possession in his mind. I ended the relationship, but he started talking or stalking me. He put a GPS on my car, and he would show up to places where I was and make threats, trying to get me to come back. That's scary, having when someone gets obsessive like that and is willing to stalk you. That's where, like, really messed up crap starts to brew. I left work one morning, and he was in his truck, hiding behind the building next door, waiting for me to drive by. When he came flying out, I rolled my windows up and tried to ignore him. He got in front of me and slammed on the brakes, so I had to stop. I went around him because I was afraid to stop. My co-worker was behind me and saw what was going on, so she called the police. I continued to drive, trying to make it to my parents' house, which was just down the road. Before I could make it make it there, he forced me off of the road. I locked my doors and sat in my car as he came up beating on the window. 
My coworker pulled up and told him that the police were on their way. I was at the end of my mom and dad's road, so I called my dad and told him what was going on. He came out of the house with a gun in his hand. When my ex seen him and heard the sirens, he took off. This guy's a psycho. But at least he took off. True. I was scared to go anywhere. Scared to be alone. I didn't know who I could even trust anymore. My dad was coming to defend me, but in the same breath, he would be raped me. So he came out with a gun, which is the first decent thing he's done in this story. But on the same hand, he would berate her and probably make her feel like the bad things that have happened to her were all her fault and that she got herself into the situation or something, you know? And don't forget, he was also abusive. Hmm. He would still continue to abuse me when I was around. I was lost. I wanted to die. I made attempts before, but none of them were successful. So Nikki was in a really dark place after this dangerous and toxic relationship, so much so as she considered to take her own life. And she'd been so resilient throughout her life and her childhood, working three jobs to help out her parents, even though she had never gotten help with the abuse. And now she was finally out of that house that she'd been abused by her brother And now there's another person. And her escape plan didn't turn out the way she had hoped. And the future was beginning to look really bleak. Um, So you can understand how she got to this point, you Mm -hmm. know. But thankfully, something happened that would finally help her to turn things around. Then I met a guy that I worked with. And we became really good friends and helped each other through some tough situations that we were both going through. Soon after we met, we began dating. He would become the best thing to ever happen in my life. He helped me pick up my broken pieces and he loved me, even when I was broken. He began helping me put the pieces back together and for the first time, I saw light at the end of the tunnel. I wondered how I could find a man like this with his love and dedication. When I was 23, my brother got really sick and had to have open-heart surgery. They lost him on the table, but they were able to bring him back. But a year later, he became very ill, and his wounds from the surgery were not healing. My grandmother called me and told me that my brother was rushed to the hospital, and when she found out, she would let me know what was going on. I was living three hours away at this time, so I asked to be updated when they heard anything. I waited for hours not hearing anything, so I decided to call my grandma, and she wouldn't answer. So I called my mom, and she wouldn't answer. I ended up calling almost everyone in my family, only to continue to be sent to voicemail. Finally, I called my grandmother again, and she answered. I could hear that she seemed sad, but she told me to hang on and put my mom on the phone. When my mom got on the phone, I asked what, what the heck was going on and why no one will answer my calls. My mom said, Nick, and began to cry. It was at that time I knew my brother had passed away. I made the trip home to be with the family. I was sad and mad, and I really was not sure how to feel at this point. I just wanted to be strong for my family. After his passing, I went into a deep, dark depression and isolated myself from everyone and everything. 
I can't imagine the conflicting feelings she would have been having here. Mm -hmm. This person had abused her her whole childhood, literally, and she was never able to tell anyone about it. He had threatened her. I mean, pretty terrible stuff, but now he was gone, and it must have been so confusing because you want to respect the dead. You You want to love your brother. It just had to be so frustrating. I'm really sorry you had to deal with that, Nikki. I knew that I needed to get it off my chest. I needed to tell someone about what had happened to be able to heal. But I knew I could not say anything now. The amount of sadness and sorrow the family was going through, I decided to keep it to myself. My sister had become a drug addict and was in and out of jail. Years after my brother's passing, my sister started a rehab program. And the day she graduated, my mom and I decided to take her out to dinner. During the talk at dinner, I asked my sister how things were going. She said things were good. She told us, I am finally able to work on the problems that made me want to use. I asked her what she was talking about and if there was anything I could do to help. She said, I have something to tell you guys that I've never told anyone. Then... She blurted out that my brother had been molesting and raping her. I just started weeping. I could not say anything. She looked at me and she said, You too? And I just nodded. I didn't know what to say. I had never spoke about this to anyone. So this is another example of how devastating and damaging child abuse can be deep into someone's adulthood. And possibly some perspective on the kind of people that become dependent on drugs. You know, they're typically not scummy people. They're the people that are trying to suppress pain. Pain that could have been avoided if she hadn't been abused. And this is why encouraging open communication is so important. Making sure kids know that something like this could possibly happen to them, but it's not their fault and that they can come to us about it. And will help them and never make them feel bad about it. I think that should be known as an essential part of raising a child. Making them aware that it's not their fault if someone does this. And that they'll always have a support system. But unfortunately, shame and taboos cause this alternate future and ruins large portions of people's lives. Like, think of all the pain and... Like drug problems that could have been avoided if you know if they weren't shamed or threatened into keeping silent the whole time you Mm -hmm. know my sister and i decided that we were going to sit down and tell my father what happened i wanted to tell my boyfriend before we had this talk with my father so i sat down with him and told him what had happened he asked why i had never told him before because at this point, we had already been together for a few years. I told him that I didn't want him to think I was disgusting and didn't want him to think differently of me. He held me and said that I was crazy if I had thought that. He told me that it would be okay and that he would help me get through it. This gave me comfort and the strength to tell my dad. So we sat my dad down at my house and told him what had happened. He listened and he said, Well, that might explain some things. 
After that, he never spoke about it again. That's so disappointing. Wow. I felt crushed. I just wanted him to hold me and tell me that it would be okay. I wanted him to be there for me like a dad was supposed to be. That never happened. Again, I felt like I wasn't good enough, and I would never meet his standards. I'm so sorry, Nikki. It's so difficult to want something from your parents that they just never give you. It's one of the hardest things to accept because it's your parents. They're supposed to be there for you and take care of you, right? Especially after you've you had you helped support them financially, you know? It's so insane. Can't even imagine. Yeah. I then started feeling really guilty because I thought if I had said something sooner, then maybe my sister would not have gone through it. I started beating myself up and began isolating myself again. I decided I was going to talk to my little brother about it and see if it had ever happened to him. He just cried and I knew that the answer was yes. I knew it would all be okay because I finally had a man on my side that was dedicated and loved me for me. He didn't try to change me and he never tried to control me. He was there when I needed him and showed me love like I had never seen before. We are still together to this day, and we have been together for eight years now, and I don't know what I would do without him. He is my rock and continues to help me on these hard days. He stands up for me and said that no one will ever take advantage of me anymore. He would not allow it. It was a few years ago that I finally found the courage to tell my father that I would not be his ATM anymore and that he was like an empty vending machine. I would constantly put my money in, expecting to get something back, only to realize the vending machine was empty. The more I tried to get him to love me and to be proud, the more it felt like putting my money into an empty vending machine. I know it's dark, but I love that illustration. It's a good metaphor. Yeah, it's a um, good way to determine what relationships are toxic. If we're constantly giving but getting nothing in return... That's a super unbalanced relationship, especially if the child is the one giving to the parent. It's completely backwards. Now, I don't associate with much of my family. This year has been particularly hard. My grandmother was diagnosed with cancer, and then my aunt passed away. On the day of her funeral, my grandmother passed away. Oh, that's really sad. Wow. And just recently, my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. It seems like a never-ending battle. I still wake up in the middle of the night screaming from a terrible nightmare, or I wake up covered in sweat from trying to get away from, my, from them in my dreams. The flashbacks and nightmares are horrible, and sometimes I can't tell if I was dreaming or if I was awake. Even though I struggle every day, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I am taking things as they come. But I can say that there are more good times than bad now. I've decided to become the survivor, not the victim. I've decided that I want to help others that are in similar situations. I want them to know that they are not alone and that there is light. There's a lot more to a story, to the story that I left out, but I wanted to make some things clear and let others know that I am here if they need to talk. I am here if they need to cry. I know the pain and I will not judge. They are not alone. Wow. It's a powerful story. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nikki, for sharing your story. And 
you've been through so much and now you want to help others. And I always think that's so amazing. A lot of our listeners, the, the listeners that have shared their stories, just like I'm blown away with them being able to open up to us like that. And we really appreciate it. Um, and if you appreciate Nikki's story, be sure to email us and let us know or comment on our Instagram posts or um, post in our Voice of the Victim support system on Facebook or something, and we'll make sure that it gets to her. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm sure she would appreciate it. Yeah. And so would we. Yeah. Also, if you want to share your own story with us, you can always send it to vovpodcast at gmail.com um, because we really appreciate it. And thanks again, Nikki, for writing it out so well. It it was very it was well perfect. Written. Yeah, it was like reading a book. Yeah. So we're gonna get into the reviews, but really quick before we do that, I just want to talk about Rodney Reed for a minute. We thought about doing an entire episode on him, but it's been covered so well by other podcasts. Generation Y did a really you know, they're so good at covering cases. They did a really good deep dive into the evidence. So if you're not familiar with the story, Rodney Reed has been convicted of the murder of Stacy Stites, which happened in 1996, which is horrible. But the evidence that was used against him is really shaky. I mean, we don't want to put any ideas in your head or tell you what you should think about it. What I recommend is that you go listen to Generation Y's coverage on Rodney Reed and kind of make up your mind about it because, I mean, death is so final. Just so you know, full disclosure, he is a rapist. He has committed rapes, but the thing he's being put to death for is something that it's not very likely he committed. So... It's a really tough and controversial situation, and which is why I don't want to... I, I have no idea if he did or not, but I don't want to put my opinions in your head about how you should feel. So go familiarize yourself with that case. And now we're going to jump into the reviews section. So our first review is from Mini Meg on Apple Podcasts from the United States. And it's entitled, You Are My First... Um, It says, I'm not one that will write a review, so with that being said, you are my first. I listen to you guys while I'm driving to and from work, and I am hooked. I look forward to Thursday, because let's be honest, I binged, I loved, (laughs) I got addicted, so now I need more. (laughs) That's how I feel about tacos. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say... I enjoyed Rosie's pronunciation of Raleigh. I think that's how I how it's pronounced. It's totally Raleigh. Raleigh? Oh, duh. She puts pronounced it. it for us. Raleigh. Oh, man. Now I sound like a, well. Like a Rosie? Is that what you're going to say? Better not. I, <laughs> okay, she says, I am 20 minutes from there. By the way, it is like Raleigh. The city of Oaks and the capital of North Carolina. Fun facts, smiley face. I love how you guys have compassion for the victims, and it's, it is obvious you care a lot about what you do for their voices to be heard. I do not understand how people have left you guys nasty reviews, but when they do, y'all handle it with such maturity. Keep doing what you do. Sending love from Clayton, North Carolina. 
Thank you, Minnie Meg. Minnie Meg. I really appreciate that. And sorry I mispronounced Raleigh again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rosie. Second review? Second one is from Alexa Grillone, all the way from the U.S. of A. I wonder, is Grillone or Grill One? It's a Grillone. Sure. Okay, like Stallone? I don't know. A five star is called The Only Podcast I Listen To. Oh. I love this podcast. I am not one to leave review, but this is the only podcast I enjoy listening wow. to. Wow, two people That's in a crazy. row that don't leave reviews. This is the only podcast I don't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a victim myself, but I enjoy hearing others' stories and being able to sympathize and try to understand what one is going through. It's a constant reminder that you never know what someone is going through. Also, Rosie sharing her story was amazing, and she is so brave for doing that. I love the duo of you two. Like one reviewer has said, you compliment each other. Aww. Thank you for doing an awesome podcast. I always can't wait to listen to the next one that comes on. Oh, so nice. Thank you both, Alexa and Minnie Meg, for leaving us a review, even though you don't typically leave reviews. That means a lot to us. Thank like, you for adding on the extra going- star. Because we've had a couple of fours, and I'm like, have you not heard? Well, maybe those people are just like... Five a, is the way A five-star is really, really, really good. What's your point? Have you heard our show? No, no. apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd put it at four stars, too. I don't like to listen to it. <laughs> Same. But anyway, we would love anyone listening to leave us a review. Let us know what you like about our show so we can keep doing it. You know? We appreciate that. Is there anything else we have to say? They got glasses. Oh, yeah. Rosie is wearing glasses now, 24-7. Well, not officially 24-7. She's a contact girl, but she ran... (laughs) Well, do you want to tell them the story of your contacts? Well, I had one batch. Well, as I I say batch, y'all know that it's like six per box. Y'all know. For my contact wear friends out there. We're from Minnesota. Can we say y'all? Yeah, of course I can. Okay. I got those contacts at 17, and I've been using the same box since. I'm now 24. Um, It was way past due. Went in, got my contact exam. If there's any eye doctors out there, they're probably cringing right now. (laughs) Hey, there was no no fogging in my cornea, whatever that means. Oh, good. So, But my prescription has gotten worse. Got my new glasses. They're super thick. That's always a good feeling. <laughs> That's about it. It's not very exciting. You have to order new contacts, though. Mm-hmm. Still, so she's yeah. wearing glasses for now. But they're new. They're new glasses. That's what makes it exciting. So, yeah. Rode th- a horse yesterday. Oh, yeah. We went horseback riding with some friends. Won second place in a chili contest. Second place. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. Went well, to a concert on Monday. Oh, yeah. Jadena. Saw Jaws at the theater. Wow. We did have a packed week. That's why I'm so tired. Okay, so enough about us. If you'd like to support us, <laughs> we would really appreciate it if you'd consider donating to our Patreon. Just $1 a month would mean a lot to us. Um, help us. You know, It's not free to produce a podcast. It does take some financial burden. So, um... Any help that people would be willing to give would really mean a lot to us. And in return, there's eight now 
premium episodes up on our Patreon, uh-huh. as well as a few double premiums that are at the $5 level mm-hmm. of Ryan Rambles and some stupid movie stuff, which there's a few movies that I want to talk about and put up on Patreon. We're going to talk about my trip to Portugal and the differences. Oh, yeah. We should work on that. Yeah, we should. So anyway, I think I've rambled enough. If you want more Ryan Rambles, that's also on Patreon. I think we forget to do our plugs like every other week. So before we forget, Rosie, are you? Do you want? Do you want to do them? Um. Yeah. Follow. Excuse me. Are you follow okay? us on VOV Podcast <laughs> at um, Instagram, and then email us at VOV dot gmail dot com. What? <laughs> I forget every single time. We were having time. a rough time right VLV now. Podcast at gmail.com. And then go to our Threadless store on Threadless. And then... On Threadless. <laughs> it's uh, Threadless. No, VOVpodcast.threadless.com. Give us your money on Patreon. Give us your money. And um, that's about it. Wow, that was... <laughs> yeah, give us your money. <laughs> no, we... Each and every one of you that listens, we appreciate so much. And, yeah, it's amazing having you guys around and that people actually listen to us talk every week. And we're really glad that we can make a difference for so many people. That have, I mean, my mind's blown by how many people reach out to us and tell us that we've made a difference for them. We love it. And if we haven't replied to you, feel free to uh, send us another message. If we haven't replied, just so we remember to reply because we want to reply to everybody and that's yeah you're not annoying us no not at all we're just really busy and um sometimes forget to reply or get distracted but all right i think i've said everything i need to say i guess thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week bye Targeted. True crime, domestic violence. We tell stories of those who were targeted by domestic abuse and investigate cases of family violence using academic research to interpret the events. As a college professor, I think we need to stop making family violence a secret. Let's use our stories to help, heal, and provoke change. Season 3 features the case of Josh Osborne, which is a story of abuse. When he woke up, she was abusing him. When he went to sleep, she was abusing him. So his abuse was nonstop. It didn't matter what he did. It was nonstop. But it is also a story of hope. Targeted. True crime, domestic violence. Listen to us for free on all of your favorite podcatchers. Peace, my friends. Peace.